M&K Talk YA now presents Vengeful Part 1 from the Villains Duology by V.E. Schwab. K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in the Villains Duology by V.E. Schwab. Um, it is called Vengeful. And we are we read up to part three, which was called Ascension. Ascension. So I just want to give ourselves a pat on the back. We just did that introduction without talking beforehand about who was doing what, <laughs> and we pulled it off. So congrats More to us. More or less. <laughs> it's going to be kind of just going with the flow now. <laughs> 64th time's the charm or something like that. Usually, if we haven't talked about it and we click record, I like panic, even though for a while. it always starts, and we're like, ah, okay. But this time, we did it, and I just wanted to call us out on it. Good job. And it was improv. (laughs) (laughs) It's improv, yeah. Okay, Okay, so what do you think about the second book in this duology? Well, I loved the first one, and I was kind of nervous because she took off a bunch of time before writing this one. And so... that's right. I didn't know, like, how well it would go, but I'm really enjoying it still. I think the world is still good. We're seeing some of my favorite characters again. We're getting some new characters with different EO abilities. Um, five years have passed, so we're still kind of doing some of that different time frame, but uh, current day and backwards filling the story in alternating chapters. So I'm happy right now. I'm pretty happy. What about you? What are you thinking? Um, I am still enjoying it a lot. I think what struck me about reading this book was it seemed a lot darker. Darker? Which is saying something, because the first book was pretty darn dark. But I feel like this book is, like, the level of darkness is just tenfold for me. Like, all of the things that have been happening, there's been a ton of scenes where I'm just, like, freaked out about it. Um, and I love dark and disturbing things. So, That's like, interesting. Yeah, so I'm, like, so en- I'm really enjoying it, but um, it's darker than I thought it would be. Like, what would you say is the most unexpectedly dark thing that's happened? Um... I guess the whole thing with, like, Marcella and how she can, um, like, turn people to ash mm-hmm. was pretty darn dark. And then um, the whole thing with Eli and, like, hearing about his backstory and how his father That's true. Uh, was really mm-hmm. violent. And then, like, all that stuff that he went through where, like, he finally found a foster home and then he finally went with relatives and then they died in that car crash. Um, but, like, for me, the most dark thing was the uh, Eli, like, being experimented on in the um the eon prison hospital by dr haverty yeah oh that freaked me out so much like there's something about like people being experimented on especially when they're still alive that really freaks me out that's fair i guess this says something probably really bad about me but until you listed those things I kind of forgot about half of those (laughs) things that had happened not like forgot about them like I remember them as plot points but I was thinking of them just as like plot points and not like oh you're right that is like a really dark disturbing not normal (laughs) thing to have in a story 
Um, so I don't know if the first book, just like watching people try to kill themselves, kill themselves and stuff made me and like, I don't know, but yeah, you're right. This is pretty dark. <laughs> I believe you now. <laughs> There's something about like doctors who torture patients in the name of science that like that to me is so sickening and disturbing and awful. Like for those scenes, I was just like squirming reading it. It's funny. It goes back, I think in a lot of ways, I like that this book is unique in many, many ways, but there is something about it sort of feels like familiar also, you know, like I feel like, of course, there's a doctor who experienced, like it's Mm -hmm. pretty graphic and, you know, it's still interesting in a different character sort of, but in the same way, it's like, to your point, they're like, this isn't a crazy thing to have a doctor who cares about science more than people's well-being. Yeah. That's like a character we've seen before but I mean it's really effective here I mean it's it's completely believable too yeah and I'm glad or glad it's probably the wrong thing but Eli's backstory is terrible but also made a lot of sense like you know in the first book even though we did know he was a sociopath we kind of he was kind of painted more like uh he had this darkness that Victor saw in him but like we never really saw evidence of it until Mm -hmm. he became an EO Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't evident that like he had really crafted this like it almost you almost thought it was Victor like projecting on him Mm -hmm. instead of like actually who he was so I thought it was really interesting to get more of his backstory before we saw him in the first book yeah and we see how his father quote-unquote saw the devil in his son's eyes and that's why he, Mm -hmm. he hit him all the time um and then how his mother committed suicide and then he pushed his father and then he pushed his father down the stairs and like I thought it was interesting because whenever he is then trying to find his way in in the different foster homes and with his relatives he always talks about how everyone says that something's wrong with him and that he's not normal and he spends Mm -hmm. a long time trying to figure out how to act normal and he finally manages to conduct himself in a way that's quote unquote normal but it never comes naturally and so I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting how like you said he was a sociopath but we don't see it until he comes to college but part of me was curious to see that like oh no that there was a little piece of him like that the whole time and not that that excuses yeah. anything that his dad did to him but just the whole thing about him struggling to like fit in and well, maybe it's because of what his dad did to yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, that's or maybe a good it point. would have been there either way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it definitely wasn't because he became an EO that no. he lost that part of him. I also thought it was interesting because isn't that how he killed the professor? His first kill as an EO. Oh, he Didn't pushed he push him down, down the stairs. stairs? Yeah. Uh huh. So that was interesting too to find out he had killed and felt that like God was leading him that way or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's still interesting to see how religion plays a role in his identity. Yeah. And how, you know, his dad was a pastor too. Like that, Mm -hmm. and and, I mean, that ties into it for sure, definitely. Um, And how he believes very strongly in God, but he himself finds it hard to feel quote unquote normal emotions like compassion or empathy or... um, you know, those emotions that, like, we would think make people human. Um, mm-hmm. He, like, struggles to to feel any of He's that. He's mimicking. He's yeah. mimicking. He absolutely is. And, like, um, especially, I thought that story about when he met his first girlfriend at his first yeah. school. Oh, man. And, I mean, 
How awful and damaging how her father basically was like, you're tracking mud into my house and you're not good enough for my daughter. Which is also like a story you, I mean, like, you know, these aren't unique ideas, but there's something so compelling about the way this story is told. But yeah, anyways. Yeah, and and like when he bribes him to like dump my daughter, break her heart and go to a different school and Eli is just like, okay. You know, like there's a lack of, like I think maybe he felt angry, but there was no real concern for how it was going to affect Charlotte. Well, he basically was like, actually the money can do me more good than this girl can. Yeah. Like, he's just so... He's just pragmatic to a fault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But with this weird religious tint, too. Yeah. Lean, leaning. Yeah. And so, and it is cool, because we are seeing more of Angie. Not quite what I was expecting, but um, I'm enjoying it a little bit more. It kind of does make it more understandable why he was maybe angry that Angie was gone, because it was taken from him, mm-hmm. but... Why it it sort of explained even further why he didn't feel the remorse. It wasn't just that he was an EO. She probably was just a tool for him also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I thought it was kind of, I thought it was not strange. I mean, totally understandable. But he says that, you know, when he was in that lab being experimented on by Haverty, that's when he stopped believing in God. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That like struck me because I, you think of Eli as someone who's so unbreakable and it was that doctor that made him stop believing. And, and which is, there's so many other horrible things that happened to him along the way. It's kind of like, huh, that was the final straw for you, I guess. How long was he being experimented on before Stell came and found out what was going on and stopped it? I think like a year. I think you're right. Yeah, it was a while. So yeah, I mean, it, I would think a year of torture would be more than enough to make you stop believing in God. But like, that's how strong his belief was that like, that's what it took. It's also kind of interesting. I almost could have seen it go a different way. Maybe if it had been Victor instead, but just because of Victor's fascination with how the body is like a machine. But I almost was surprised that he didn't try to like, he wasn't curious from a scientific perspective a little bit more Mm. about how his body worked too. Yeah, just like to see his limits. I like could have almost seen them wanting to learn even if he still hated the torture and hated the doctor if he hadn't like tried to gather more information himself yeah as a subject i don't know because i mean because we do learn more about him like how he can't reject foreign objects like he'll heal around them or if if it's like something large he just won't heal at all until they're removed um oh and like when Haverty mm-hmm. takes his heart out and then he just grows a new one. Ugh, that was awful but i mean yeah. now we have this crazy doctor who's on the loose now doing his own experiments with yeah, stuff he stole he from the like, lab <laughs> and he kidnaps that one of you nick who can like harden parts of his body mm-hmm. and so now he's just gonna continue experimenting on these poor people and i'm just like to what ends like what is he i know he's trying to like harness their power like that's his end goal but i'm just so curious where what's gonna happen to this doctor and what he's gonna do uh yeah yeah, I think that makes them more interesting than the, again, the trope of just, like, the doctor who's so blinded by science. Like, I don't think he's ever going to come around and be like, oh, you're right, they are people. But it's interesting to see him just, like, still so pursuant of the science uh-huh. aspect that he just, like, that's fine. I've been stealing stuff the whole time until you pull the plug, and I'm just going to, yeah, find a different victim because no one cares about these EOs and do my own thing. Yep. And so you touched on Eon, E-O-N, whatever we call it also. Mm-hmm. We should talk about that some more. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so Stell started it, Detective Stell. That's like, it was his baby. And what is it short for? It's short for an extraordinary observation and neutralization. I couldn't remember the O yet. I didn't remember the neutralization. <laughs> so it's basically like um, an institution designed to hunt down EOs. Yes, but Stell doesn't necessarily want to kill them. And so far or hasn't been killing them. them. Yeah. And maybe he... He definitely isn't interested in experimenting on them to the point where you're torturing them. I think he right. was obviously pro some science research initially because it was happening. But he's also now, him and Eli have another interesting working arrangement where Eli helps him from his cell find Eos to bring in. Mm-hmm. And Eli's basically put together that Victor is out there covering his tracks and trying to find an Eo who can fix them because he's not working Right. Right. So now he wants to get out and find Victor, and he's trying to get Stell to let him out without knowing why. And so that's where Marcella kind of comes in, because what's her interesting power? Besides turning people to ash, she just ruins things. Her power is ruining. Her pa- yeah, cause, and I love that um, the tie-in with how she died, too, is when she caught her mob husband cheating on her, and, her, and he sets the whole house mm-hmm. on fire. Oh my gosh, that scene was insane. And then, like, drops the candelabra on her, and her last thought is, I will ruin you. And now everything she touches, yeah. everything she touches, like, turns, to, like, crumbles. It turns to ash under her hands, which is, like, but you know what's crazy? Okay, so she wakes up in the hospital, and she can turn things to ash, and she's just like, huh, okay. She gets out of the hospital and goes find her husband. Like, people, people's reactions to their newfound superpowers are so so downplayed like could you imagine waking up in a hospital and having that power like i would go and i i i I don't know what i would do like i i definitely wouldn't just calmly escape from a hospital and go get my revenge like i would i would need a minute have you read warm up yet no but i have it i did get it okay for for next week let's read warm up and talk about it because it's um a different eos story and i think he had more of a normal quote-unquote reaction <laughs> okay <laughs> and I mean I'm, part of me is glad we don't have to waste time like seeing everyone adjust to their new powers but like she was just so calm and then like Marcella and she just shows up to that poker game and just like kills her husband's mistress and then turns her husband to ash and then she just calmly sits down and she's like deal me in deal me in gentlemen so she's like aligned herself with the mob now <laughs> I think it helps that she basically from the beginning of their relationship wanted to be in the mob so it's not like she's like a victim and then just like is going with it like yeah she was a victim of her husband's one act of violence but this is kind of like like this idea of power and like this is Mm -hmm. something she's been pursuing for so long but I agree it was sort of like I mean she did kind of a little bit of experimentation and she's it would have been different if there wasn't a police officer right outside of her door that's true and stuff but but yeah it is she does adjust rather quickly to the fact that she can ruin things <laughs> but I do love her as a character I think yeah her like, backstory is fascinating yeah and how um just the whole idea of like you know people look at her and they make assumptions like mm-hmm. you know that she, because she's pretty she has an empty head and that she's only she's only after an easy life and she just wants luxury instead of power um and people constantly underestimate her because of that and so it's, I, I do like her character as someone who's like, I'm after power. How, like, what aren't you getting about this? And 
kind of refusing to settle for anything less. She refuses to just be an ornament, which is what her husband would have made of her. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of like. Um, and then we have June. Oh, yeah. What do you think of June? I the really want to know more of her backstory. Yeah, because she's all buddy-buddy with Sydney now. Yeah, which makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. But also I'm happy about because she needs a friend. <laughs> she <laughs> I does. I don't trust June yet. So June's power is if she touches someone, she can like get their memories and take their likeness, basically. And so she can switch what she looks like mm-hmm. because she like basically collects these things and then they're all like in her bank I don't know. <laughs> yeah exactly. it's a body bank because <laughs> she like turns yeah. into this, um doesn't she turn into mitch at one point <laughs> yeah but we don't know what her near-death experience was we don't know what her near-death experience was we don't know much about her life before she got the power because she just said something about she left her family, bu- mm-hmm. her family buried a body and she let them and she's keeping them safe or something. Yeah. Which I'm not even sure if that's a true story or she's trying to bond with Sydney or what. But um, yeah, we don't really know much about how she ended up this way. I'm sure we'll find out. And I'm very curious to know. Yeah. And if she's going to be on our side or not. If she, she seemed, so it sounded like if she sees an EO, they, she can't take their memories. Right, they're like blank to her. And so she hadn't seen one until she ran into Victor when he was robbing that drug dealer or whatever. Um, and that was like the second one she'd ever seen, so she was curious. And then somehow she came across Sydney in the process mm-hmm. and befriended Sydney. But we're not sure if she just wants more people like her and they actually get along or if she's got her own scheme going on. I feel like she's got an agenda. I just don't know exactly what it is. Because she's, like, attracted to Sydney when she sees Sydney um, trying to bring that dead bird back. And so, like, Sydney's whole, whole thing is she's trying to get as good as, at her skill as she can so she can try and bring back her sister, who was burned really badly. So she's, she's making the assumption, you know, if I can bring back things that are really, really in an advanced state of decomposition, like mm-hmm. a bird skeleton, maybe I can bring back my sister. So I wonder if June... I don't know. I, I don't know if how June ties into that, at all, if at all. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm really curious to see if Sydney manages to bring back Serena. Yeah. And if Victor ever gets fixed, because so far Sydney still brings people back, but at least EOs come back with their power a little bit broken. So Victor keeps dying for longer, yeah. more painful deaths, more often as the five years have gone by. Um, and so his main mission right now is to try to fix himself. But it's not working. But I think he's realized that it's going to take an EO to fix him. Because that's when he goes to look for um, that Connolly guy who can, he, he, he has healing powers, like an EO has healing powers. Um, someone who can put machines back together with their power, right? Right, right. He's basically like, there's got to be someone out there who can fix me. It's an EO problem, so I need an EO solution. I'm just going to keep looking until I find something that works. And if you can't help me, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Yeah, because he has to cover his tracks because he's so afraid of Stell, you know, realizing that he's still alive and and kidnapping him and experimenting on him. And it's it's kind of a whole thing where, like, that's kind of what Eli was doing, like, just kind of killing people. And I think Sydney was the one who asked the question, like, how are you better than Eli if you're just killing everyone? And he was like, well, it's either us or them. So we got to do what we got to do to survive. Yeah. 
And Stell's team, so they found out about it because our buddy from the last book, what was his name? Derek? Derek? Derek. Dom? Yep. He Mm -hmm. uh, basically got recruited, and now we know he's working at Eon, or Eon, or whatever we call it, but we're not sure what specifically he's up to or how much how much he knows right and I feel like Dell I'm just like I think his main goal for wanting to track down and contain all the EOs is I think he wants to contain them before they cause harm and I think he kind of like Haverty wants to harness their power as well but I think he wants to use it like for good like he wants to take the EOs and use them to stop crime or somehow heal people um like, I think he's curious about what EOs could do for the rest of the world and mm-hmm. also understands that they're dangerous and he believes needs to be contained. So I just don't know, like, how all of that is going to end in, what, 200 pages? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things going on right now. And, and then, like, Sydney, too, feels really guilty because of... She's, like, in a weird place, too, because, like... She is angry at Victor because she finally realizes that Victor is the one who killed her sister, even though she may have suspected it. Mm-hmm. But she also feels really guilty because she knows that she brought back Victor and kind of did it wrong. And yeah. so now, like, so now he's every dying. time he dies, yeah, yeah it, it feels like the first time he died over and over again. So, And she's also in this weird place because she's not really aging. So even though she's 18, which is a hard enough age for anyone, let alone someone who's spent the last five years on the run after their sister died and got, like, all the Mm -hmm. stuff that had already happened to her. Um, But she also looks like she's 14 still or whatever. 12, whatever it is. Yeah. That reminds me of Interview with a Vampire. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. Oh, there's, like, a child. He gets made into a vampire and she, like, grows up, but she still looks like a 10-year-old girl. And she gets, like, obviously not very happy about that. That's just kind of what it reminded me of. That is funny. Um, so I had a dream, actually, that I had a near-death experience. And... Oh, man. Um, in my dream, I'm not even kidding you, I had this dream where I was getting attacked by a shark. And in my dream, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is a near-death experience. What is my superpower going to be? And <laughs> as I was being attacked by the shark, I was trying to control my thoughts to be like, focus on something... But, like, don't think about how you don't want to be alone because you're going to be haunted by voices. <laughs> and, like, I was trying to think of, like, what superpower I wanted to have. <laughs> while, <laughs> while not dying. Or while yeah. dying. And, like, what thought I should be thinking of as I was having this near-death experience. So did you come up with one? No. I just was, like, I think Th- in my this mind. This is something what- we should put thought into ahead of time. You're right. <laughs> I know. I think in my mind I wanted to control people. I wanted to have Serena's power. So I was trying to think of a thought that would give me that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a cool power until you got into her her head. And it is kind of like, like I do, I wouldn't want no conflict ever in my life to the point where like people just can't fight back or disagree yeah. with me. Just mindlessly obey you. Yeah. It'd be cool if you could like turn it on when you needed to. <laughs> yeah, sure would. <laughs> Not just like always have it. <laughs> I mean, I'd want to teleport. Well, so then that would be what's-his-name's power, right? Dom. But, but he's yeah. in pain all the time, isn't he? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, but that's because of how he died, not yeah. because of his power, I think. Okay. That's the thing. It's like, ooh, some of these powers are not great. I mean, honestly, Victor's power seems like a decent power. Yeah, but I wouldn't want his power now, how he's just 
in constant pain well, and like, yeah. can't control it. Also, that's too statistic for me. I wouldn't want to. I mean, but you it, you could focus on the taking pain away part. You don't oh, have to true. be a terrible person <laughs> like he is. I'm just thinking about even with my like one issue, like if I could just not be in pain whenever it flared up, that sounds great. And you could take away other people's pain. Or even just like give them a sense of unease the way he does all the time where people just yeah. like naturally avoid him. Yeah, that's pretty good. And if you were ever in a terrible situation where someone was attacking you, you wouldn't need a weapon. That's true, that's true. You don't have to kill them, but you could still, like... Defend yourself. You know, feel confident that you could defend yourself, yeah. Um, I wonder if you had a superpower like that, if you would purposely start putting yourself in dangerous situations to try and, like, save people. Well, I think if you had a superpower like that... I mean, I think if you had a superpower like any of these, wouldn't you have, like, a weird fascination with figuring out the limits or, like... Or being a hero. I think I would get a complex of, like... I'm a hero now and I'm using my power for good and I and I think I would get like strange satisfaction from that so I would like seek out every situation I could where I could be the hero I think I'd probably accidentally remove pain from someone who needs like you know how we talked about the dangers of not feeling pain and then like something terrible would happen and then I'd panic and I'd never want to use my power again and then Uh uh-huh you would accidentally do evil do bad instead of good yeah is that bad that that's what I think of myself (laughs) No, I mean, that just is, shows that you're a cautious person. <laughs> I think I just want to avoid, I want to avoid near-death experiences in general. I just want to live this one life without the trauma or the pros and cons. Yeah, of... it's definitely not worth the payoff, I don't think. Yeah. Especially since sometimes the powers are not that great. I think I would become friends with Eos, though. That seems, I'd be like Mitch. I'd want to be Mitch. Yeah. But wouldn't you feel inferior, though, a little bit? I think I might. Like, if I was, if I had a bunch of superpower, superhero friends, and I was the only mortal or normal person, I I don't know if I'd like that. I don't know if my superhero friends needed me to do all the hacking and, like, I mean, I feel like he has a use. It's not like he's useless in the group. He still has to be useful. Yeah. And I think I'd almost like that more if I was like, well, what I'm contributing is, like, my own self, not some (laughs) random power. I might feel superior to them, as a matter of fact. Probably not, though. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, um, for my research this week, mm-hmm. I was really interested how they were talking about how this whole EO thing was an example of a pseudoscience. And so I started researching different types of pseudosciences. Okay. And so pseudoscience is beliefs or practices that are not based on scientific method but sometimes they're mis- they're mistakenly believed to be part of a scientific method but they're really not okay so there's no like hard at hard scientific proof of pseudosciences but sometimes they are widely believed or accepted okay and so instead of i at first was just like oh well, let me talk about different pseudosciences but then that was boring so we're going to play a game are you up for it I don't know. Yes. I'm ready. I don't like games. Okay, so I'm nervous. My ga- <laughs> it's a pretty easy game. So the game is I say a type of pseudoscience and then we both have to say whether or not we believe in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so I'll start I'll start off easy. Um, astrology. Do you believe in astrology? Kind of, I think. Okay. I I don't like believe in it a hundred percent, but I like kind of follow it a little bit and think it's interesting and I'm open to the idea that there's more to it than there is 
I agree. I, I think it's just extremely entertaining. Yeah. But I found out today that we actually have three signs. So we have our sun sign, a moon sign, and a rising sign. Didn't we talk about this once? No, I don't remember this. Oh, I feel like something with our... Or maybe we just talked about two signs. I remember something we were talking about and we were like, oh, there's more signs than we realized. I don't know enough about astrology stuff at all. So what's your th- what are your three signs? So I'm a Leo. It's like my main sign, my sun sign. But then my moon sign is Virgo and my rising sign is Pisces. And I totally see that. Can you figure out what mine are real quick? How do I find them out? I had to go online. Um, I can. Do you know the time you were born? It was like, how exact do I have to be? I would say like within a half, within a half hour. Okay. I can do this. Oh, except edit out the place where I said where I was born in case someone like hacks on all my security. <laughs> I will do that. Okay, so I'm going to calculate. So your birthday, I know that. Okay, so I know I put your birthday in and you said 9.30. No, I think it was 12.30 a.m. Oh, 12.30 a.m. Oh, you were born at midnight? I was born, yeah, because my due date was at the day before, and my, I just missed it. Well, I know you're a Capricorn. Yes. That's my main sign, or what, your normal, whatever one everyone knows. Okay. It's calculating. Okay, so you are a Capricorn, which we knew. Yep. Your rising sign is Scorpio. Ooh. So persons with ascendant Scorpio are in the mood for passion. It does not matter what kind it is, a new hobby, new love, or the fulfillment of new goals. If their interest has been aroused, nothing can stop them to make their dream come true. That's kind of me, I guess. I totally see that. Yeah. And then your moon sign is Libra. (laughs) Ups and downs are not unusual in Libra's life. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Usually, she is even-tempered and close to herself. As a result of her inner peace she's able to solve inner and outer conflicts quickly. Interesting. That is cool. Very interesting. Okay, so we both feel the same way about astrology. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about cryptozoology? So a search for creatures that, like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, do you think that exists? Again, this is like a, no, I don't really believe in Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, but I do believe that there are things out there that we don't really know about that are really rare and... Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like, it's maybe not a... Um, it's maybe not exactly how people, like, have written the story and it's a mystical mm-hmm. creature necessarily, but I definitely think there's things that have evolved in certain parts of the world that... That are unknown. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, what about the lunar effect? So the belief that the full moon influences human behavior? Um, no... Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about that one, too. I never really blame the moon for anything, even jokingly. I blame Mercury being in retrograde for a lot of stuff. (laughs) I don't even think I know what that means. What does that mean? It's like when Mercury starts moving backwards for a little bit. And it's just like, it's supposed to affect technology. Like, technology crashes. Oh. Okay, what about... Do you believe that aliens have visited Earth? Hmm. Yeah. So, like, ancient astronauts is a... It's a concept based on the belief that intelligent aliens have visited Earth and made contact with humans in antiquity and prehistoric times? I don't think so, but I think it's possible. I kind of believe in that. (laughs) I just feel like I would, there'd be more evidence of it, but then it also could be someone like way smarter than us, and that's how we got all this stuff about God and stuff, because it's actually just like, I'm I'm kind of on the fence, but I think I'd lean no. 
I think it's definitely possible, though. Okay. I lean yes. I don't know if I buy that, like, aliens came to visit us and gave us, like, the power to build a nuclear bomb or anything like that, but I feel like, I feel like aliens definitely exist, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of leaning towards yes that they have visited Earth before. Yeah. Just because we are not smart enough to find other planets with life yet doesn't mean some other group hasn't found us yet. Okay, what about, like, acupuncture? Well, that one's just hard for me because I don't want to believe that there's any benefit of sticky needles into my body anywhere, but, <laughs> so, like, I'm personally a no, but, like, when I think about it, I think it, whether it's the placebo effect or not, I think some people do get benefit from it. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. don't think it's a good option for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> just thinking about it would make outweigh any positive impact. I've only done it a few times, but... Yeah, I believe in acupuncture. I think it works. I enjoyed it enough that I would get it again. Okay, last one. The moon landing conspiracy theory. You mean that we didn't really land on the moon when we said we did? Yeah. I don't believe that. I think we did. I don't know. I, I believe we did too. I want to. We're, we're such Americans. <laughs> I know, we're so patriotic. <laughs> of course we landed on the moon. <laughs> oh, man. So... That was that was really fun. It made me nervous. I don't know why though. I don't know. It's just it's a lot of stuff where like it's interesting to think about. Like, do you be- like? I feel like belief is an interesting term too because it's like, what does it mean to believe in something? Like how like if I don't if I really believed in some of these things, then I would live differently than I do. So that makes me think that I don't believe in them. Mm. But I'm also not like anti believing in them to the point where. Like, I feel like I'm open to it. I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm being weird. Like, if I if I a thousand percent believe that acupuncture could, like, do all this stuff, then I would, if I, like, a hundred percent believe that, I would probably have gotten acupuncture at this point, but I didn't. Yeah. Or if I, you know, really believed in astrology more than I did, then I probably would read my horoscope more often and things like that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like, just, like, I sort of feel like if I really believed in them, they would affect my life more than they actually do. That's probably true. Although I don't think I'm going to go look for Bigfoot anytime soon, but I totally believe that it could exist. I really liked the theory that cryptozoology animals exist, but they live in different dimensions than ours. And then every once in a while they cross over. I really like that theory. Oh yeah, that is cool. It's also one of those things where it's, uh, I just don't want to even think about it too much. (laughs) Same with like ghosts and spirit stuff. It's like, I believe it's there, but I don't really want to engage with it. it too much yeah. <laughs> yeah. don't blame you <laughs> well, what about you what did you research this week i researched sidekicks who got screwed by history oh so, okay oh this, <laughs> this is, is the name great. of the article but uh when sydney like ran away one of these times or wanted to like be a grown-up or whatever she went to this party on halloween mm-hmm. called it was like heroes and villains themed party and it said no sidekicks allowed <laughs> And it reminded me of how when Victor and Eli were trying to get their superpowers, like neither one of them wanted to be the sidekick. And then I was thinking just in general about, I was like, what's so wrong about being a sidekick? And so I was looking up real life sidekicks. And these are people who like (laughs) did things and never got credit for them. Oh no. So have you heard of Oob Ewerks? No. So he's the guy who invented Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Not Walt Disney? Yeah, so he was Walt Disney's oldest and closest friend, and he was an animator. Um, And basically, before Disney was Disney, he was just this guy named Walt, who was (laughs) (laughs) hanging out in his buddy Oob's animation studio, and 
Oob designed this guy called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. <laughs> and if you look at Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, he... I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Yeah, we should post a picture of this. He looks a lot like Mickey Mouse, but with long ears. Oh my god. Um, And basically, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was actually owned by Universal Studios, and they decided they didn't need Walt Disney around to... But I don't know, whatever. So they like own this character. And so Walt asked Oob to whip up an Oswald 2.0. So not only did he come up with the like concept of Mickey Mouse, he also animated the first Mickey cartoon all by himself. And Disney, I guess, was shorthanded. So this guy animated Mickey's first five cartoons plus the first Silly Symphonies. Oh, wow. And... Like, if you look at the cartoon's titles, it actually, they had Erwick's name bolded and bigger than Disney's. Like, that's how appreciative Disney was of what his friend did. Mm -hmm. But I guess he was, like, a really shy guy. Mm -hmm. And basically, Disney had the personality to be Disney, and Erwick's never promoted himself. And so that's why, nowadays, we don't really hear about him, and everyone knows Walt Disney. Oh, man, that's such a good one. Isn't that a good one? Okay, there's two more I'm going to talk about that are kind of interesting. So okay. have you heard of Yakima Kanut? Nope. So he's a cowboy. He grew up on a ranch and like did bronco riding, whatever people do with broncos. Mm-hmm. He did the rodeo circuit. He was a war veteran, all this stuff. And one day he became friends with this little known guy named John Wayne. <laughs> oh my God. And... <laughs> They, like, became buddies, and Kanut ended up doing a lot of his trickier stunts, so he was a really good stuntman, and he ultimately was in 48 different movies with on-screen time. Um, But he also, basically, John Wayne, like, tailored his persona after this guy, so his walk, his talk, everything. He stole his whole persona? Yeah. (laughs) So... But, I mean, I think they were friends, so basically, he... (laughs) Taught him how to be a believable cowboy, and then he did a lot of his stunts for him. And like he's credited with actually inventing most of John Wayne's like famous mannerisms. But John Wayne became a famous actor, and this guy did not. Oh my goodness! I hope he got like some com- compensation. I hope it, him and the first guy. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. What was his name? <laughs> um, Erwicks. That's no, terrible. It's our- <laughs> I, I hope he got some kind of compensation. Like- well, in both of these cases, I mean, it's kind of interesting because it do- in neither one of these stories that I read, and I didn't get into a ton of detail, but they weren't like, and then Disney like stole his idea and like this guy ended up in power. It's something like that. It's like Disney and Oob were really yeah. good friends and Disney just like became Disney and this guy was his friend and helped him. And I wonder if they stayed friends. <laughs> yeah, I don't know for sure. And same with, I mean, it, this story at least doesn't make it sound like John Wayne took complete advantage and like stole this guy's persona. It sounds like Yakima Kanut like trained him and taught him and helped him become John Wayne. So, I mean, there could be more animosity or these could just be people who didn't have the star power that these other people yeah. had, but like did what they did and were happy and compensated and had yeah. fun, you know, like we're friends with these people. I, don't I know. hope it's that. Okay, but this one is one of my favorites. So this is Frederick Wilhelm August Heinrich Ferdinand von Steuben. Oh, I think I know this. I think I know this. Um, Wait, do you? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Let me me just think. Okay. No, I don't. (laughs) I thought I knew. He was a Prussian soldier. Oh, nope. Okay. (laughs) Who supposedly could have doubled for George Washington. Oh. Except that 
he didn't speak any English. <laughs> <laughs> that disguise is going to crumble pretty quickly. <laughs> Back in 1777, he convinced people he was a baron and was introduced to Benjamin Franklin, who in turn introduced him to General Washington, and they told him, I guess Benjamin Franklin told Washington that this guy was a lieutenant general, which he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so this guy was like really impressed by this, or George Washington was really impressed by this lookalike guy. Um, this fraud. So within a month of arriving in, in America, he became he went from drill master to inspector general of the continental army whoa he wrote the army's drill manual taught soldiers how to not defecate all over their own campsites i guess that was in the <laughs> That's manual. An important lesson yeah um how to actually use a bayonet for something other than a shish kebab skewer it says how to march stand like basically taught them everything they needed to know about being a soldier being a legit army okay. yeah um and he did all of this for free so he was George Washington's sidekick. Yeah, he basically like helped invent the American army, looked just like George <laughs> Washington, and like no, and his name's too long, so people just stuck with old, good old George. But at the end, so I do know a little bit, at the end of the day, Congress gave him land. Good. But they refused to pay the money he had been promised when he first volunteered. Oh, that's a bummer. And eventually Washington and Frank, Franklin were able to persuade Congress to provide the Baron with a bankruptcy saving pension. Okay. But the guy died in debt. Oh, no. And, oh, that's awful. Yeah. And then George Washington, like, became president. <laughs> yeah. And George Washington, you prob- you've probably heard of him. Yeah. Just a little bit, <laughs> you know, basically through Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sucks. That poor... And he, and he did a lot. Like... Yeah, it was kind of interesting to read about some of these. I mean, like, I guess everyone really who... Like, so few people truly make it on their own anyways. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, oh, for sure, at, at a minimum, you have like the support of your family and friends or people who've helped open doors for you or whatever. But and so it's just it's interesting because there's probably tons and tons of more examples of people who either did amazing things themselves and weren't recognized or helped like were extremely mm-hmm. pivotal in someone else's amazing things that we do recognize. But it was just kind of interesting to think about. I also like I like the idea that he was his sidekick and also looked just like him. I know, I... Because also, like, during war, like, George Washington would be someone who you would not want to look like because you're probably, like, a huge target. Like, that's real... That's bad luck right there. Well, you don't want to look like him when you're out and about with the other soldiers. But right. you probably do want to look like him around camp when you get an extra ration of something or the good bed yeah, or true, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you earn it because everyone's, like, targeting you. Okay, this guy, I've... I mean, I've killed the pronunciation of all of these names but this is octave chanute and he was a old retired engineer in 1890 when he started a second career and published the first history of aviation and began playing around with the idea of flying machines Uh um so he was very into like collaborative relationships and sharing information freely and you know, just wanted someone to be able to get a plane up in the air. So mm-hmm. um, one of his first designs, this guy Percy Pilcher built, Oh, but he tragically died before he could test the plane out. Oh, man. Which is really too bad because 100 years later, some British university students reconstructed the plane based on the same design and it flew for a, a while, mm-hmm. over a minute, which means that he probably actually invented the first flying 
oh. airplane that would actually have functioned before the Wright brothers did. But anyways, yeah. the Wright brothers contacted him for advice back in the day. So not only did he give them really good advice, he became like this champion for them. So he like publicized their experiments and like sent them a ton of letters and helped legitimize their business. Um, And the glider that they built was also based largely on his demands. But the Wright brothers ended up becoming super secretive about their designs and their methods. And they patented everything and like all this stuff. So even though I guess he had invested $100,000 of his own money into various experiments to help aviation get off the ground. The Wright brothers were kind of protecting themselves, and he was beloved by the aviation community, but basically not known outside of that, and the Wright brothers are the ones who are famous for, you know, their big flight, so. Yeah, you've never even heard of that guy. I haven't, at least. But it's, it's very interesting to think about, like, of course... Yeah, the Wright brothers, yes, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to downplay what they did, but again, it goes back to the, like, so many things have to come before someone can be successful in this stuff. They weren't the first people to think about, oh, we should try to figure out how to fly a plane, and they definitely had other ideas and investors mm-hmm. and people helping them and making it possible, so. I'm sure. I mean, think about, like, any kind of discovery, a lot of people are racing at the same time to, like, be the one to patent it first or get it out there first or do it better than the next person so that they become known for it and the other person falls off the face of the earth like um, that's been going on for forever i also i took a bunch of quizzes this week to figure out which <laughs> sidekick i would be oh that's fun um i should send them to you we can talk about them maybe oh you next should week. i love but doing dumb quizzes like that <laughs> i did i did one which disney sidekick i would be and one which superhero sidekick i would be so i'll send them both okay. and we can talk about them next week if you want yeah let's do that um do you have a joke for me this week um i did where did i put it Oh, okay. Okay, so I was, like, doing these Disney sidekick. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyways. Why can't you give Elsa a balloon? Because she'll let it go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's the first oh. time I think I ever guessed a joke correctly. Where can you find a little mermaid? That doesn't even make sense. This isn't even a joke. Under the sea? Yeah. How is that a joke? <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> it's just common sense. <laughs> oh, wait. No, there was another funny one. Where did it go? I didn't know you would guess my first one so fast. <laughs> I mean, th- that was the first time. So <laughs> even blind squirrels find acorns sometimes. <laughs> what is Peter Pan's favorite restaurant? Oh, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. You're gonna get it. You're on fire tonight. Um, I don't know. Wendy's. Oh, that's good. I was thinking like Never Never Land or like something about growing up. Oh, Wendy's, that's so good. <laughs> oh, I love those. Oh, I'm excited to see what my what sidekick I am. <laughs> Did you have um, a favorite scene in this book so far before we wrap up? Hmm. Um, I don't, I think I'd kind of want to see June mm. doing June stuff. I don't know. Being different people. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't like a scene that stuck out to me either because they were all, I guess like, Maybe the scene when Marcella interrupts the poker match and, like, her husband's there with her former friend who's now sleeping with her husband and just, like, the look on her husband's face when she walks in and he thinks she's dead and then she's just, like, standing there. Yeah, I thought about that, but I don't know if I want to see... Her power kind of scares me. That's a problem with this book. I, like, really like it, but I don't know that I'd want to see a lot of it actually happen. I agree. I don't know if I'd want to see a movie out of this. Mm -hmm. Um... 
And, and honestly, like, the more I've been reading this, I feel like this is definitely more new adult rather than young adult, for sure. Yeah. Okay, I found my other joke, and it's not even that funny, but I'm going to ask you. Okay. <laughs> what did Woody say to Buzz Lightyear? Um, Andy's coming? I don't know. A lot. There were three movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, such, that's to me the kind of dad joke that I am definitely That is a such a dad joke. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, man. Um... Well, if you want to get in touch and tell us a superhero dad joke or um, some pseudoscience that you believe in, or if you know of any other famous sidekicks, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook or Instagram at mnktalkya. We love hearing from you guys. We sure do. And we're going to finish the rest of Vengeful for next week. Which is the end of the series, which is kind of sad. Oh, and also, there's a short story. You can get it on Tor.com, I think. Uh, oh, okay. Called Warm, Warm Up. Up. That is also written by V. Schwab in this world. And we'll read it for next week, too. Yep. Perfect. All right. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.